Okay, Saints, um, good morning. Welcome to another Sunday of live streaming. Um, keep praying, hopefully within a couple of weeks, that we'll be able to, to meet. Um, so, But until then, we'll continue to proclaim the word. We'll continue to worship. Um, we'll continue to um, glorify um, our Jesus and proclaim his heart and his work in, in all the ways that we can. So this morning, our text is found in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. Um, so that's what we're, we're going to be looking at, where Daniel purposes in his heart that he will not defile himself. And so if you want to open your Bibles to Daniel 1.8, and then let's begin by just um, bringing this before the Lord. Father, we are so grateful, so thankful for who you are and how you work. And um, what an amazing thing is Daniel here is isolated um, as he's literally forced to do a social distancing from his land of Israel and from the temple and from all that, that speaks of you, that he would still, Father, even in this place, purpose in his heart that he would not defile himself, that he would continue to seek you and worship you and exalt you. And so, Father, we're simply asking for instruction by your Spirit that you would clarify this passage to our hearts you would clarify the season um, of what we're living through in our hearts, and you would draw all of us back to your plan, back to you, back to how we can worship you, Lord. And it's just so wonderful to know that you are here, that you're moving, and that you, Father, um, can and will be glorified as we set our hearts on you as we set our lives upon just seeking your word and seeking your will. So draw us to you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So the book of Daniel, chapter 1, verse 8, simply declares this, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, not with the, the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of eunuchs that he might not defile himself. There's a, a passage in the, the book of Psalms. Um, Psalm 137 verse 4 asks a question. It's a pertinent question. And it declares this, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? When we're isolated from all that we know, when we're isolated from those things that, that in our own mind, in our own culture, draw us to God. Because our heart is this. We, we come to church on Wednesday. We come to church on Sunday. We, we try to tune into the, the Monday night study. And the more that we're fed the word of God, the more that we grow, the closer that we become. But there are times where the enemy tries to get us to be isolated. And he tries to bring us away from the body of Christ, away from the edification of the saints, away from that place where iron sharpens iron. But when he does that, the question still remains, how shall we sing the, the, the Lord's song in a foreign land? And what Daniel does here is this. I believe that in everything that he does, he begins to worship. He worships God in this foreign land. And so it declares that Daniel purposed in his heart. Now, that word purpose simply means that he set or he placed um, in uh, the book of Genesis, God, God set the, the, the man there in the garden. And as he set, you know, um, Adam and Eve there in, in the garden of Eden, he, he placed them there. He purposed them there. Um, we also see that 
when Joseph's brothers come back to, to Egypt as they're trying to buy grain, they said, hey, someone put this money back in our sacks, and we don't know who did it. And so that word put, that word set, that word placed, this is what Daniel does. He purposes in his heart. He sets his heart in a position. He places upon his heart. This is something that he does himself. Now, you have to understand that, that Daniel at this time, he's in the nation of Babylon, as he's in the nation of Babylon, he's in the palace itself. And as he's there in the palace, he's been set underneath this chief of the eunuchs. And his job, his ministry was going to be to instruct Daniel for the next three years. He was going to have three years of indoctrination. Now keep in mind, the very reason that he's in Babylon is this. The entire nation of Israel had been compromised. They literally, the the nation itself, as the prophets were trying to warn them, don't go here, don't go here, that what was happening is that there was no one listening to the word of God. And as Jeremiah was there, and we we covered his... um, book just a couple of months ago that, that Jeremiah was just weeping and weeping, saying, would anyone listen? Would someone pay attention? And yet, yet no one was paying attention to the prophets. No one was paying attention to the word of God. They were all compromised. And it was because of this compromise that God says, listen, if you're not here worshiping me, What I'm going to do is this. I'm going to take you away from this comfort level that you're in because you're thinking that you can compromise your walk and compromise your worship and that you can still continue as if nothing's happened. And God says, listen, I'm going to judge you. In the same way that I judged your older sister, I judged Israel because of her sin. She was in idolatry, and I said, don't go into idolatry, don't go here, don't do this. But Israel didn't listen. I warned them, they still didn't listen. I warned them again, they still didn't listen. And eventually, I allowed them to be taken away from the land to the land of Assyria. And so, as as they were taken to the land of Assyria, that's what happened when they compromised. And so, we're seeing here that the very reason that Daniel is here in Babylon is because of the compromise of the nation of Israel. It's kings, it's leaders, it's priests, it's prophets. And so they all cause Daniel to be in the position that he finds himself here. And yet in Daniel 1.8, he says he still purposes in his heart not to defile himself. So you have to understand that where Daniel finds himself is because of the entire leadership realm of Israel. The, the, the kings, the leaders, the priests, the prophets were all compromised with the exception of just a few. And yet Daniel could, even though he was in that land of compromise, and of course then God allowed Nebuchadnezzar to come and, and take Daniel, take part of the, um, the items from the temple, and, and take them you know, to Babylon, and so the, the, the question is, is this, as Daniel is here because of the compromises of the leadership in Israel, he's now focused where he's in Babylon, in the kingdom of Babylon, in the palace of Babylon, and even some of the articles of the temple are in the house of the, the, um, the king of Babylon, and in the temple of the gods of Babylon, that Daniel is, is like, okay, well, who's greater? 
And we looked at this a little bit on Wednesday. Who is greater? Is it the God of Babylon? Is it the gods of Babylon? Or is it the God of Israel? Well, what's interesting is this. Daniel here is in Babylon. His friends are in Babylon. Some of the the articles from the temple are in the house of God in Babylon. So when we we noted that on on Wednesday in 2 Chronicles 36, verse 7, it actually talks about Nebuchadnezzar bringing the nobles, bringing the young men, bringing the descendants of the king, and bringing the articles of the house of God. And so Nebuchadnezzar here is about to isolate and indoctrinate Daniel for the next three years. And so as he's going through this indoctrination, as he's now being faced with, I'm not in Israel. I can't go to the temple. Um, Israel has compromised. And, you know, everything that I know, everything that I'm, I'm looking at is telling me that my God and his word isn't the one who's in authority right now. And yet, that's what he sees on the outside, but what's happening is, is he believes by faith, I know God's word is being fulfilled. Why? Because God warned the children of Israel. Back in Deuteronomy, he says, listen, if you're faithful, here's the blessings that will come. However, if you're not faithful, if you're not seeking me, here are the cursings that will come. Here are the disciplines that will come upon you. And so as Daniel is being indoctrinated for the next three years, the, the, the thing that's going to be constantly, you know, in his mind, and this is how the enemy works, whose, whose truth is the truth? Is it what I'm actually experiencing? Because I'm not seeing the power of God as he's taken his home yet. He, you know, eventually they were going to find out that they'll be there for 70 years. And so he's not experiencing that power of God delivering him in the physical sense you see the, the articles of the temple in the Babylonian temple in the physical sense. And you see you know, him being indoctrinated with all the ways of Babylon in the physical sense. So what are you going to see? Are you going to see that the power that you're experiencing and living under? Is that the authority? Because I'm now experiencing these difficulties. I'm experiencing this. Does that mean that the word of God is not true? Just because I'm not seeing it being manifested in my life as I think it should be manifested? And this is a good warning for all of us because there are going to be times in our lives where you're not seeing physically how the word of God is being manifested like you and I would want it to be manifested. See, I want to see the power of God doing this. As soon as they say, hey, we're going to cancel the, the you know, you, you have to social distancing, but the Constitution says we cannot stop you from assembling. We cannot prevent any freedom of religion. You guys can do your thing. You, you, we trust you to be, you know, responsible for your own bodies, for your own health. So you guys make the decision. But yet that didn't happen. None of that transpired. It's, it's a lockdown, 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 and longer lockdowns and longer lockdowns. And, and even when the Supreme Court says, okay, you're now free, the city says, no, you're not. And so we have these things where what are we going to believe? Are we going to believe that God's still in control? Are we going to believe that God's still moving? Are we going to believe these things? And so it's important to recognize, even though you don't see the word of God manifesting like we 
think it should be manifested. We don't see the power of God changing these people and changing the events like we think it should be. Make no mistake that God is still on the throne. His word is still going out. His word still wants to do what? He wants to touch our hearts. He wants to touch our lives. He wants you to say, what are you going to do while you're here? Are you going to purpose in your heart that I'm God and that I'm in control and that you're going to seek to please me in every way that you can? See, here's the heart. Even though you can't please him in the way that you think and I think we should be able to do, that we're not being able to worship him in the way that we expressly want to do, we can still what? doesn't mean that you can't please him. Daniel's done one thing here. He didn't build a temple. He didn't start a synagogue. He didn't, you know, open up the Torah and bring some scrolls out. He did one thing. He purposed in his heart. I'm going to set my heart on this. And I think that's what's so important. Now, keep in mind that as Daniel is here, he has no authority of priests or prophets over him. He doesn't have the temple. He doesn't have a synagogue. He doesn't have any of that. He has no Israel authority. But yet, although he has been taught the Torah, at this point now, he's going to be being taught paganism. He's going to be, t- be taught in all the ways and the, 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 the abilities of, of everything that's going to be happening there in Babylon. And so what it declares is this. I want to back it up for just a moment And I want you to see verse 4 and 5 here of chapter 1, because this is what Daniel is facing. It says, The young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had the ability to serve in the king's palace, whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank. And... Three years of training for them so that the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now, this is the background of what's going to happen. Daniel knows that in three years he's going to come now and he's going to serve before the king. Now, back in or move forward to verse 18 because we do realize that same thing happened was true, what he knew was going to happen. Verse 18 of Daniel 1, now at the end of the days when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief eunuchs brought them before Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of three years that Daniel would be brought before the king. Now in that meantime, he would be indoctrinated, he would be taught paganism, he would be taught their idols, he would still see you know, the, the, the ruin of, of Israel as he would continue. But what's interesting is this, that he says, I'm not going to eat the foods. As we looked at on Wednesday, there were probably the foods that were the idol worship, the foods that were given to the idols, and then brought down to them so they could partake of them. And he also refused the wine, where like in Proverbs 20 verse 1, simply says, wine's a mocker. He says, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to have the wine. I'm not going to have that diet. But and, it, and keep in mind that it's a diet that would be incredibly attractive to someone who has a carnal nature, to someone who's led by fleshly lust. It's like, I like this diet. This is an amazing diet. And so 
There, there's a point where it says, yes, my, my flesh wants this diet. But then God says, but what you're going to do is this. You are going to have your flesh be in submission to what? The spirit. The flesh is going to be in submission. You're not going to let your flesh rule over you. You're going to let the spirit rule over you. The flesh shall not have dominion over the spirit. Even though they're warring against one another, you're going to feed the spirit. The spirit itself is going to be conquering the flesh. And so although it would be so attractive to someone who's ruled by their carnal nature, that Daniel is going to do what? I'm not going to defile myself. And not only would he not want to defile himself with the food, but keep in mind that Daniel here for the next three years is going to be having an identity crisis. Believe it or not, Daniel will be having an identity crisis. Why? Because Daniel, his name means what? God is my judge. But as soon as he came, remember what happened in verse 7? It says, to them the chief eunuchs gave names. To Daniel he gave the name Belteshazzar. So we're seeing here that rather than being God is my judge, he's now what? I am the prince of Bel. Identity crisis. Every day they say, you're Belteshazzar, you're Belteshazzar, Belteshazzar, come here, the prince of Bel, the prince of Bel. And he says, no, no, I'm not the prince of Bel. God is my judge. Do you understand how there's an identity crisis that someone is constantly trying to say, this is who you are, this is who you are, this is who you should be. And I'll tell you what, that is so true in the world. How often does the world say, this is who you are, this is who you should be. You shouldn't be giving yourself over to holiness that what hey you know what all things are lawful compromise here compromise there it's okay if you compromise all things are lawful but yet keep in mind that we'll be looking at it just a little bit when you begin to compromise in the little things you're going to have greater and greater compromises so daniel here and i want you to understand that he's having this identity crisis now of course he's victorious it doesn't mean that the crisis isn't there. doesn't mean that the ability for him to constantly think of himself as what? I'm the Prince of Bell. I'm the Prince of Bell. I'm the Prince of Bell. Bell is going to be the one to protect me. Rather than rather what? No, God is going to judge me. And I find it interesting that all these things here are what's happening in Daniel's life. And he knows this that in the, the very end of this training, that he's going to have to go before the king. And, and it declares that, and I, I find it so interesting that therein, as we looked at verse, um, verse 5, we're at the end of that time that they might serve before the king. And of course, at verse 18, then he was brought before Nebuchadnezzar. So keep in mind that at the end of these this three years of indoctrination, that he's going to be brought before the king. And, and I think what's interesting is this. Keep in mind that to Daniel, this is the wrong king. It's not his king. It's not the king of kings. It's not the Lord of lords. It's simply what? He's a, tempor a temporary ruler here in this time, in this place. Now, at the end of three years, you might be brought before a king and stand before the king. But know this, at the end of your life, you're going to be standing before what? The king of kings. 
And I think it's important to realize that, yeah, you might be brought before the king and have all these people around you and have your friends around you and have the worldly influences around you. But when you stand before the God of heaven, when you stand there at the Bema seat where God says, here's your rewards here, there's no one else. There's just you and God. And it's not going to be, okay, well, let's, let's get some rooting sections here and let's try to limit the naysayers that say, no, Lowell shouldn't be in heaven because of these things that he did when he was a kid, because of these things that he did as a Marine, because of these things he did even as a young Christian, and because of these things that he was doing today, these thoughts that he had in his head. How could he be in heaven having those thoughts and having, you know, beeping at people who cut him off in, in traffic. Why isn't he over that yet? He's been teaching the same thing for 15 years. You'd think, get over it, Lowell. But yet what? There's going to be naysayers, and there's also going to be the, oh, Lord, please let most of the people in Calvary Chapel, not all of them, but most of them come and stand and say, yeah, he was a good teacher. He was a faithful servant. He taught us the word of God. No one's going to be there. Not the naysayers, not those that you want in your court. It's just going to be you and God. That's it. And one day we will stand before the King of Kings. And I love the heart of this because Daniel here, what he's purposing now isn't going to be for the pleasure of the king that he's going to stand before in three years. What he's purposing in his heart right now in verse 8 is going to be what? For the purpose of standing before the king of kings at the end of his life. And I think this is where it's key. There's a passage in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Let me just read it to you. It simply says this, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. There's a point as far as just keeping your heart. So understand that Daniel here is realizing that these actions that here the eunuch is wanting me to do according to the command of the king. Because the king is saying, I'm going to give you my food. I'm going to give you my drink. This is mine. It's from a portion of my table. I'm trying to elevate you. I'm doing you a favor. And, and if Daniel now compromises, he knows what? Not necessarily that the, the food and the wine will be that which defile him, but it does declare that in the scripture. But it's going to be what? My actions saying, I want to allow this. That will defile him. See, there's two things to say. One, these are the things that um, I'm going to allow to happen in my life. When I make a conscious decision to allow those things that, that, that would defile me according to the word of God, I'm defiling myself. I'm the one that's choosing it. And Daniel here is purposing in his heart that he would not defile himself, that he wouldn't act in that way. He's choosing even before he takes it to say, I don't want to do this. Now, as we're going to be looking at Daniel, as we continue to see him, if Daniel, now just, just take a second here to just ponder with me, and normally I, I don't do this, but I think in this instance it's probably a good question. If Daniel had eaten of the king's delicacies, if there wouldn't be chapter one here, if it wasn't written the way it was, would there be a book of Daniel? I've been pondering that. If he had eaten of the king's delicacies, would have there been a book of Daniel? Would have there been a book dealing with the prophecies of Israel 
the, the prophecies of the world? Would have there been a book of Daniel if Daniel would have been one who was brought into Babylon and he didn't stand out? If he said, oh, yeah, I'll eat of the king's delicacies, whatever, it's no big deal. All things are lawful. I'm here in Babylon. There's no one, you know, of Israel that's authority over me. I don't have the Torah here. It's just a little compromise. Everyone else is eating this. I can make a million excuses to why I could do this. But if he had done that, would have there been the rest of the book? And so it's just a question that I pondered. And so answer it the way you want. I think it's, it's interesting to see that, that, but because he didn't compromise, because he purposed in his heart, and understand the first thing before he even went before the eunuch is what? He set his heart to this. He wanted to you know, already say, I don't want to go and do this thing. I'm already thinking of what I should be doing, what I shouldn't be doing. And so as I thought about it and I've purposed it, I've set it upon my heart. I've made it a passion of mine. I've made it a desire of mine that what he does is this. Because it's in his heart, because it's there, he now all the actions follow. And I want you to realize that it's in his heart that Daniel is not just following a bunch of rules. You have to understand that, that he's not in his mind, I need to do this, I need to do this. But it's the burden of his heart. Remember that passage in Luke chapter 11? There in verse 39, that Jesus talking about the, the, um, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, but he made a mention of this. He said what they do is this, they clean the outside of the cup, but the inside is dirty. Daniel here is not just saying, I want the outside of the cup clean. What he's saying is this, I want the inside clean. That's what I, and so when the inside's clean, guess what? The outside's, you know, we're going to have dust on our feet. That's why Jesus said, I don't have to wash all of you. I just got to wash your feet. But it's about the inside of the cup, not the outside of the cup. And so he's not doing this to be seen. He's not doing this to be liked because if you're doing it to be seen and you're doing it to be liked, what are you going to do? You're going to compromise to the majority. If I can get the most people to agree with me, this is what I want to do. Well, understand you'll never get everyone to agree with you. There's always going to be differencing of opinions, but it's important to realize that the one person that I want to glorify with my body and with my spirit is he who purchased me. That's who I want to please. That's who I want to glorify. There's a passage in Titus chapter 3. Let me just read it to you. Jot it down if you're a note taker. Verse 5, Titus 3. But it declares this. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. That I am not made holy by anything that I'm going to do on the outside. That I have been made holy by the work of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, his blood being shed for my sin. That's why I'm here. It's not by any work of righteousness that I'm going to do. So for me to simply say, I'm going to add to this work by doing a form of righteousness, that's not it. I will respond to his gift. I will respond to his love, and I'll love him in return. But what I'm doing is this. It's not a rule. It's not a regulation. It's not a requirement in my life. It's what? It's a relationship. It's not a have to, it's I get to, it's I desire to. And so Daniel here, he's not trying to, you know, cleanse the, 
you know, so the outside of the cup, I have to do this rule and do this regulation. He says, no, I want a purpose in my heart. This is what I want to do. I want to glorify God. And I love it how when Paul wrote to the church in Rome there in Romans chapter 12, the first two verses, he said, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And I think it's just so important to where he says, present your bodies to God. Do this as a living sacrifice, he says, and do not be conformed to this world in verse 2, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. You give yourself over and you allow your mind to be transformed. You allow it to be metamorphosized. You allow God to change your mind from what it was into a new mind. He takes out that stony heart of flesh, the, the stony heart of stone. He gives you this heart of flesh that he can write his word upon it with the finger of God and say, this is my will, this is my heart. And when it's on your heart and it's the overflow of your heart and you desire to do things, it's not to say, look at me, look at how good I am. It's all about what? Wanting to glorify the Lord. And I think this is what's so important that when it comes to those areas of purposing in your heart, two passages for you note takers, jot it down. If you're not a note taker, you got to become one because there's some things that are so key in our walks and in our understanding trying to regard these passages. The first one I want you to jot down is this, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. It, it declares this about purposing in your heart. He declares this in, in 2 Corinthians 9, 7. So let each one, as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. He says, I want you to, when you do this act of worship, I want each one, as he purposes in his heart. Now, that, that's a literal translation. Each one, as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly. Do you understand that there's a lot of Christians that what they do is this. They, they, they do what they do out of, I have to. I do what I do after, I must. What if somebody sees me not doing this? What if somebody realizes I didn't do it? What happens is this. When you purpose it in your heart, it's not going to be out of, necessity. Oh, I got to do this. I have to do this. And you just do it grudgingly. He says, because God loves what? When it's the overabundance, when you're happy, when you're pleased, when you desire to do this, he loves that cheerful one. And I think it's important to realize that this is the key to purposing. When you purpose, it's I want it to be the desire of my heart, the passion of my heart, my response to the love of God. That when I see what he's done, as we noted that, you know, he has those 10 lepers and as, as he heals them all, nine continue on their way. One comes back, a Samaritan falls at his feet, worships God, and he gives God thanks and he's grateful for what happened. So he wasn't out of necessity. He didn't say, hey, when you find yourself cleansed, just come back and bow down. No, nope, it was on his heart. And he could not. I can't continue to the temple. I can't continue to the priest. I've got to give God glory. 
And then I'll, I'll take care of the rest of the things that you call me to do. But the first thing, the greatest thing that's on my heart is I want to glorify you. This is what we see. There's a second passage found in the book of Acts. Let me read it to you. It's found in Acts chapter 11. The key verse is going to be verse 23, but I'm going to just add the, the verse 22 and verse 24 included with it. So, you know, if you want, follow with me here in Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 22. It opens up this. Then the news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. And when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad, and he encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord." For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So all of a sudden, the news of what was happened comes to the church of Jerusalem. And what they do is they send out Barnabas, the son of encouragement. And what happens is, is he comes and he sees the grace of God. He doesn't see the works of the people. He sees the grace of God. And when he sees the grace of God... He says, oh my goodness, I want to encourage them that with purpose of heart that they should continue with the Lord. Now you have to understand, not when he sees the works, that he says, okay, now with the purpose of your mind, continue to do the works. He sees the grace, and the grace is what? Just God's unmerited favor. He says what? Continue in this grace. This is the heart of purposing. It's not a requirement. It's not a have to. It's I desire to. Now, that's the first thing that we learn with Daniel as far as purposing in your heart. It's not a rule. It's not a regulation. But it's drawing closer to the Lord. And as he draw, you draw closer to the Lord, he's going to be showing you just a couple of things. This, this is my heart for you and me. This is what I want us to do. And when you draw closer to him in that relationship, as he begins to reveal his will to you, then what begins to happen is this, that his will begins to supersede even your will. It's not my will, but your will be done. That's my greatest heart. I don't need you to say, okay, on, on, on my will, would you in heaven do what I want here on earth? It's me here on earth, whatever you will in heaven. That's what I want to see accomplished. That's the prayer. That's the heart. And it's all about this relationship. And the, the deeper you become in love with Jesus Christ, the, the more amazing that relationship you have with him, the more you're going to find out about him. As you are, find yourself in prayer, find yourself in the word, find yourself being directed by the spirit. The Lord is going to show you very simply, today, this would be my will for you and me. And then you're like, let's do it. I don't want anything else. All the plans that I had, secondary. All the things that I want to see accomplished, third and fourth. Whatever it is that your heart wants from me and you to draw closer together, that's my greatest passion. That's purposing in your heart. But what the enemy tries to do is this. The enemy tries to get us to compromise. And one of the best ways that he does to try to get us to compromise is this. He tries to take us away from godly influence. 
And I do believe that that's a lot of what's been happening in our nation and what's happening today. That the enemy is trying to get us to move away from godly influence. In other words, from being here in the church, from gathering and letting the iron sharpen iron, from fellowshipping with the brethren. He says, you know, listen, don't forsake the fellowshipping. Why? Because there's something important about being here in this fellowship with the word of God being proclaimed, with worship preparing our hearts, that all of a sudden God begins to move in the most amazing ways. But the enemy seeks to do one thing. He tries to get us to be separated from the godly influences. And so what happens is this, is, oh, I don't have to tune in on Sunday morning. I can tune in Monday morning or Monday afternoon or Sunday evening. And and so he throws off our schedules to what? I can do what I want to do. I'm going to purpose in my heart when I want to do it and how I want to do it. And so because of that, as the enemy has us separated, there's other things that are going on. And we begin to do what? We begin to think, you know what? There's this time of setting apart this part of this day for the Lord. This day, which is the day that we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. The very fact that I know that my sins are forgiven because... After he died, he was placed in a tomb, and God says, I've accepted the sacrifice. How do we know? How do we know that he accepted the sacrifice for my sins and the sacrifice for your sins? Because what? Christ rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. He rose from the grave. This is how we know. And so as Daniel is here, he's isolated. He's not there with all the, the leadership of Israel. He's not there in, you know, by the temple of Israel. He's not there going to the temple and seeing the sacrifices. But he tries, the enemy tries to get us to sacrifice. Remember that passion, that portion of scripture there in Genesis chapter 13? Remember what happened to Lot? Lot separated himself from the godly influence of Abraham. As he separated himself from the godly influence of Abraham, that all of a sudden, what did it happen in, in there in Genesis 13? First, Lot looked to Sodom. And after he looked to Sodom, and then he says, let's move close by Sodom. And then he moved there at Sodom. And then he moved into Sodom. And then he became a leader in Sodom. And it was all because he did one thing. He separated himself from the godly influence of Abraham. He chose wealth. He chose all these things. Now keep in mind, there were contentions between Abraham and Lot and the herdsmen. So what do you do? You separate? No, you get rid of the herdsmen. You get rid of the herdsmen. You get rid of the flocks. You don't need those things because what? The important thing is the godly influence. That's the key. And you don't, you don't separate to say, I want more wealth, I want more things. But this is what they did. They chose that path. Rather than getting rid of the sheep and getting rid of the herdsmen and say, hey, then let's just have enough where we can still fellowship. There's still enough to feed us. There's still enough to prepare for us. We're still blessed. But let's not separate. But that's what they chose to do. And as soon as Lot separated himself from the godly influence, he began to take step after step after step to find himself there as he eventually became one of the leaders, one of the judges there in Sodom. That's how far he compromised. There in, in 2 Samuel chapter 13, where, where Ammon just had this, this passion for his stepsister Tamar. 
and, and, uh, or, yeah, and so as he does, his half-sister, so what he does is he then secludes himself in a room with Tamar. He kicks everybody else out of the room. And there in 2 Samuel 13, verse 9, he says, everybody leave, everybody leave except Tamar. And then what does he do? With, with no witnesses, with no other influence, no godly influence, no one to watch over him, he then begins to defile her. And so we, we begin to see here so much of what happens is this, that it's the enemy wants to separate us from godly influences. If you're familiar with that passage, in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 22, all the way through chapter 24, there was the, the, the mother of Azariah. Her name was Athaliah. And what she had done is after the death of her son, she literally murders, she destroys all the royal heirs. But then what happened is there was this woman, Joshabeth, she was the wife of Jehoiada, the priest. What they did is they hid this little tiny baby, Joash, for six years in the temple of God. And what happened is this, is, is Joash, at the death of that priest, at the death of Jehoiada, when his advisor had, you know, passed, that eventually jo Joash even kills the son of Jehoiada. He kills Zechariah, the prophet who came and said, listen, Joash, don't go here. That's not good. And what it declares is this, in 2 Chronicles 24, verse 22, it says that he didn't remember the kindness which Jehoiada had done to him. When Jehoiada had passed, that godly influence, he began to listen to the other leaders. He began to listen to the multitudes. And so when another godly influence, the son of Jehoiada, Zechariah, comes to him, he says, I'm not listening to you anymore. Do you realize that as soon as that godly influence had left him, as soon as Jehoiada had died, then he begins to compromise. And that's what the enemy seeks to do. He seeks to try to get us to not be around the godly influences. He seeks to have us leave that. Just like the prodigal son there in Luke chapter 15. What does he do? He left the godly influence of his father. He left the family and he goes to a faraway place. As he finds himself in a faraway place, what does he do? He blows everything with prodigal living. He makes decisions that are based on his carnality, not that are based on what? What would glorify God. And I think it's important to realize that he separates himself and he joined himself then, you know, to this other Lord of the land. And what did he get to do? He got to feed pigs. Now for a Jew, unclean, but that's what he did. But we begin to see how the enemy tries to remove us from the godly influences and place us around the ungodly influences. And this is what he does with Daniel. He removes them from Israel, removes them from the temple. And of course, we do realize they were all compromised, but he brings them to Babylon where it's just idols, idols and, and delicacies. And he's going to be before this other king and indoctrination. But even when we see this, that he stayed faithful. Now, there's that passage in John chapter 18, verse 18. Remember what happened with Peter? That Peter himself 
that, that he found himself warming himself there at the enemy's fire. That's what he was doing. He was there and, and with all of the, the leadership and all of the servants, they had a fire. And Peter now, he leaves the disciples, follows the Lord, but he finds himself what? There at the enemy's camp. And there at the enemy's camp, warming himself by the fire, as the conversations go on, Peter says the words, wait, wait, I know your dialect. I know you're, you're a Galilean. You're one of the followers. Oh, I don't know him. I don't know him. Three times he denies him, the Lord, but he did what? It all began by what? Leaving the fellowship of even the, the terrified disciples, going and following the Lord, but at a distance, and then warming himself there at the fires of the enemy of the Lord. And so we begin to see so often that those are the things that begin to, to draw us away from the Lord. And that's what the enemy seeks to do. He tries to get us to literally fall away from being close to the Lord, moving away, and then finding ourselves there at the enemy's camp. There's a passage in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I just want to read it to you, but it declares this. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demon. There are going to be those who depart from the faith, and the reason they depart is this. They're, they're not going to have that godly influence and they're going to say, you know what? I'm not going to be staying here where the word of God is taught faithfully. And where, you know, we're here in Calvary Chapel. We're looking verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, precept among precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. And what they do is this. They leave the teaching through the whole of the word of God. And they go and they find themselves teachers who do what? Teach very specific things. And if I can find those specific things, I'm only going to be feeding myself with the things that I want. Because what happens is this. Here at Calvary Chapel, Milwaukee, what we're doing is we're getting a steady diet. You're not getting just all meat, but you're getting meat and vegetables and starches and milks and cheeses and all the, 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 the food groups that are necessary for what? You're getting taught things that you want to hear, things that you may not want to hear. You're being taught you know, things of the good people do in their lives. You're being taught things that we shouldn't do in our lives. And above all, you're getting what? A healthy heap into Jesus. You're getting this amazing diet where he's now the icing of the cake and you're going to have him. You're going to be proclaimed him. The, the, the purpose of the nutrients is what? We're all seeking the Lord. But what happens is this, is they leave the steady diet through the teaching of the word and say, I'm going to be, be looking to this teacher and this teacher and the internet and all these things. And I'm only going to be finding the looking for the things that, what? that I'm hungry for. And when I find the things that I'm hungry for, I'm going to diet on this and diet on this and diet on this. And you find yourself this. You find yourself compromised because you're only looking to one thing and you're not looking to the whole of the word and say, will you correct me here? Because a lot of times what happens is in my life, I'm focusing on one thing and the word of God comes out of nowhere as I'm just going through his word and says, it's not about that. It's about this in your life right now. And that's what the word of God does. It brings me away from my will, my will, my will to what? Him revealing his will. 
And as he reveals his will, it's so important to go through this steady diet. But what happens is this, just like there in, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, there's going to be those who what? They leave that solid teaching through the word and they begin to find themselves compromised. As they begin to find themselves compromised, they find themselves there deceived. And I think it's important to realize that what begins to happen in so many lives of Christians is they, they find themselves and they say they're going to depart from the faith. I'm going to depart from this teaching through the word of God because it's not tickling my ears the way I want it to. And so they find themselves only eating a diet of one thing. And when they find themselves eating the diet of one thing, you don't have that balanced diet. As we go through the word, there are going to be things that come out of left field that you weren't even thinking, wow. And God says, this is an area. It's like, oh my goodness, it is an area of my life that I'm compromised in. It is an area of my life that I want to pursue. Thank you, Lord, for taking me through the word, showing me what your heart is. It's so important as you go through the word of God, as the word of God is spoken, not just a word, but the word. And as the word is spoken, we begin to have the steady diet of all the things that we need. And I'm not saying that it's wrong to, to periodically look to one thing. I do that myself. As God puts something on my heart, I want to do and I want to study that. But it does not take away from the fact what that I have my own reading through the word of God. That I'm going to be looking at the whole of the word constantly. And yeah, I'll focus on one thing. After I eat a steady diet, I'm going to go back. You know, I'll tell you what, there's never been a Thanksgiving where I haven't gone back for a second helping of green bean casserole. You always have to have the second and possibly third helping of that. Now, I've already eaten all the rest of the foods, but I'm going back for another helping, you know, because it's green bean casserole. What do you do? You have to have those other helpings. As we go through this, we see here that there are going to be those who compromise. Now, I think it's important that what Daniel is doing is this. Before he even goes to the eunuch, begins to tell the eunuch, the first thing he did in verse 8 is what? He purposed in his heart. He already had it set upon his heart the things that, that on, uh, this is how I want to live my life. This is what I want to do today. And he's already have it in his heart and I think it's important that, that you sometimes we need to choose how I'm going to live my life on a day-to-day -day basis. And sometimes I think it's easier to make a plan in my heart and a plan in my head before I go into a situation. There are times where I know that this is a situation that I'm going to be in. And what I will do is this. I'll actually look to the word of God and say, what does your heart say about this kind of situation? What does your heart say about when I'm going to be entering into this thing? There's a passage in the book of Habakkuk. In Habakkuk chapter 2, I want to read to you the first three verses. And it simply declares this. Habakkuk in chapter 2 verse 1 starts off with this. I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart, and I will watch to see what he will say to me, and what I will answer when I am corrected. So he's standing as a watchman. He's going to set himself there, and he's going to watch to see what God will speak to him. The first thing he does is he looks to the word of the Lord, and he says, and I'm going to find out that what I will answer when I'm corrected. 
I'm going to see what, when, when the things that I'm thinking I should do and the word of God realigns me to the will of God in how I should act with what I do, I'm going to ask this question, what am I going to do when the word of God corrects me? Now, I already have a path of what I think I should be doing, but when the word of God corrects me, what am I going to do? Am I going to continue to do what I want to do? Or I'm going to find myself being guided and challenged and moved so that when I'm corrected, that God says, this part's good, this part's good, and this, uh-oh, we can't go there, lol. Wrong heart, wrong mindset. You got to change this. This is what my word says. What are you going to do when the word of God corrects you? What are you going to do when the word of God begins to change you? And then he says this. Verse 2, then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie, though it tarries, wait for it because it will surely come, it will not tarry. After he gets this word from the Lord and he's been corrected, what he does is this. He makes a note, this is the will of God. He takes this and I love it. He just writes the vision and he makes it plain. He says, I know that before I enter into this situation, I already know what the heart of God is. I already know what his will is. I already know what he's wanting from my life. And so before I even enter into the situation, like Daniel, what he does is he's already sought the Lord. He's heard from the Lord. And then he purposes in his heart that I'm going to do what? I'm going to do what the God spoke to me. What the God of Israel had said, this is what I want to do. And I love the heart of it because Daniel here recognizes what a little compromise will do. He realizes that here as he hears the word of the Lord and God says, you can't compromise, Daniel. The Daniel then purposes and he sets upon his heart. Okay, Lord, I will not compromise. I only want to glorify you. And he realizes that what happens is this. When you have a little compromise, then you can what? You can have a greater and greater compromise. We already talked about Lot. Remember Lot in Genesis 13? That Lot did what? He had a little compromise. He said, I'm looking towards Sodom. I'm thinking, this place is nice. And, And because of that, he didn't look up. See, Abraham looks up. Lot looks down. He looks and he says, boy, this is like the Garden of Eden. He says, it's amazing. So he compares as much as possible the physical thing of Sodom and Gomorrah to the spiritual thing of the Garden of Eden. You can't compare the spiritual, the physical to the spiritual, but this is what he does. And then he does what? Then he moves by there, and then he moves in there, and then he becomes leadership in there. The compromise began with what? Well, first, saying, I'm not going to get rid of my sheep. And the second thing is this, that he compromised by saying, oh, my goodness. What I want is this. I want to be in that land. I want to be where it's rich. I want to be where it's green. And then not realizing, yeah, it's okay. But all in that land is Sodom and Gomorrah, the compromise. And it just began one little compromise. And then what? And then you had a greater compromise. Just like David. 
We've talked about this before. David himself, in the, in the time where kings went out to war, that he stayed home. He found himself alone, again, isolated there on the rooftop. And as he was there isolated on the rooftop, then the enemy plants a seed. Look at this woman bathing. He then continues to look at that woman bathing. Rather than turn his eyes, I made a covenant with my eyes that I might not look upon a maid like Job did. He goes and he compromises. He looks, he says, who is that woman? And then they tell him, she's the wife of, of one of your mighty men, Uriah the Hittite. Bring her to me. And so you see that here, the, the affair with Bathsheba, the, the murder of her husband, all begin with what? It began with a little compromise. Not like David just woke up one morning and said, let me just murder Uriah and a bunch of other innocent Israelites. Let me just do that. No, it was because of compromise, a little compromise. And just as a little compromise will cause you to have greater and greater compromises, understand this, being faithful in a little thing will cause you to also escalate to be faithful in a larger thing. And just as Daniel and his friends and I, I want you to realize that when Daniel does this, let me read to you just, just verses 8, 9, and 10 here of our text, because I want you not to miss here what is actually said. It begins in verse 8, but Daniel singularly purposed in his heart singularly that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies. In verse 9, now God had brought Daniel into favor and the goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. So again, singularly Daniel. But look at what happens in verse 10. It declares this, And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has appointed your food and drink, so why should he see your, not your face, but in the plural, why should he see your faces? At this point, it's already implied that because of the plural of the faces, that he realizes it's not just Daniel. It's going to be Daniel. It's going to be his friends. And as we see here, that as Daniel and his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they all purpose. So here the chief eunuch realizes not that when he sees your face singularly, when he sees your faces in plurality. Daniel's here desire to set and purpose in his heart this to say, you know what, when I do this and my friends do this, it's starting off with just a little piece of not compromising it's going to escalate into a major thing of not compromising. How do we know? Well, in the, in the next chapter, we're going to see how, um, or in the next couple of chapters, we're going to see how God's literally those friends of Daniel's, as they were faithful in not compromising a little thing, they could say, what? I'm not bowing down to your idols. I'm not going to do this larger compromise. Why? Because they didn't start with a little compromise. And I think it's important to make a note that when you see Daniel and what he does is in, in his heart, it's now spreading to those other three brothers of his. And as, as, as him and the, the, those other three children of Israel come and they, they choose not to compromise, all of a sudden, by not compromising in this little thing, allows them to say what? Well, just as we were faithful, God said, I'm going to show and I'm going to protect you. I'm going to make your face fatter and fuller and more healthier than all the rest. 
God showed himself strong and showed himself powerful where he says, if you're going to follow my will, you're going to have a blessing. You're going to have my presence. You're going to have my favor. So when it came to this larger compromise, all of a sudden is what? I don't, I'm not going to bow down. And I'll tell you right now, O king, that I don't even have to think on this matter. I know how to answer you. My God, he's, he's able... He's able to protect me from the furnace. He's able to protect us. However, although he's able to protect us from the furnace, he will deliver us from your hand. I love that about, you know, Hananiah, Mishael, and Nazariah. They realize, yeah, I, I may or may not burn to death, but I will be delivered from you. As soon as I'm away from your hand, I'm in God's hand. So no matter what, I'm, I'm delivered from you, whether here on earth or, you know, in this life or the next life. I'm delivered. I'm fine with that. But I know that he can deliver me from the first. But, but that larger point of faithfulness, I do believe, comes from what? The smaller point of being faithful. If you're familiar with... How I want to read you just two passages. The first is found in Luke chapter 16, verse 10. Let me just share it with you. And then I'm going to back up to Matthew chapter 25. So if you're turning your Bible, go to Matthew 25, but just jot down Luke 16, 10 first. And Luke 16, 10 simply declares this. He says, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful in also what is much. And he who is unjust in what is least is also unjust in what is much. That here, you know, Luke just simply says, hey, you know, when, when, you're, when you're faithful in a little thing, God's going to give you greater things. But when you're not faithful in the little things, he's not going to give you greater things. If you're unfaithful, then you're going to continue to be unfaithful. So we see here that pattern of what happened with Lot, that pattern of what happened with David, and also the pattern of what happens with Daniel and his friends. That there's a pattern if, if you're faithful in the little things, you're going to be faithful in greater things. If you're not faithful in little things, you're not going to be faithful in greater things. And so we see that pattern there is established. And so he was faithful what is least is also faithful in what is much, and he was unjust what is least is also unjust in what is much. Now, back in Matthew chapter 25, let me read from you beginning in verse 20, and I'm going to read down to the end of that chapter just so you can understand the context. You understand this is the parable of the talents, but there was a man who, of course, was, was going into a far country. He gives each of his servants. He gives one five, one two, another one, and each according to their ability, he gives them talents. And it declares this. After a long time, the Lord comes back. And in verse 20, and so he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, I've delivered you delivered to me five talents, and look, I have gained five more talents besides them. And the Lord said this, notice verse 21, well done, good and faithful servants. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And then, of course, then verse 22, he would receive two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me the two talents, and I've gathered two more talents beside them. And notice verse 23, and his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Now, verse 24, he who had received only one talent came and said, Lord, I knew that you 
you know, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you've not sown, gathering where you've not scattered seed. And I was afraid, and I went, and I hid the talent in the ground, and look, here, what you have is yours. But his Lord answered and said, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I've not sown, I've gathered where I've not scattered seed, and you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers that at my coming it would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten. For to everyone who has more will be given and he will have an abundance. From, from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant in the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is a principle of scripture that if you're faithful with the little things, that what's going to happen is this, that you're going to be able to be faithful with greater and greater things. But if you're not faithful in the little things, when the larger test comes, you're going to fail. And if you begin to be unfaithful with the little things, then you begin to be unfaithful with the next thing and unfaithful with the next thing and unfaithful with the next thing. That's why it's so important that we, we look to the word of God. And, and like that passage there in, in, in Habakkuk 2, where, Lord, you, I'm going to seek you, I'm going to listen to you, and whatever you correct me, I'm going to write it down. I want to have your will and only your will. So that I can tell you, not my will, but your will be done. I want to know it. I want to write it. I want to read it. I want to make it plain so that, that when I read this, I can run with this. And so, so often <clears throat> we begin to see here that when we choose to walk without compromise, you have to understand this, that a lot of times when you choose to walk without compromise, you're going to be alone. You're going to be alone. Daniel here, it doesn't say that he had, you know, priests and, and prophets or anyone saying, hey, I'm over you. This is what you should do. Daniel found himself alone. And, and, and keep in mind that he wasn't going to join the rest of the people who were there in those rooms. They were all compromising. He singled himself apart. He says, I'm going to be set apart. I know this. Keep in mind that there in the book of Genesis, Noah was what? He was the only one. He was the only one that was set apart to say, I, I'm not going to defile myself like the rest of the world. I'm not going to compromise. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I find grace in your sight. I'm going to walk this and whatever you call me to do is build an ark and I'll bring some animals. But understand, it wasn't Noah and a bunch of other people. It was Noah and then he led his family. This is what we're going to do. But Noah found himself alone. Remember what Abraham did? Abraham left his entire family and he followed the word of God. God says, leave your family. Come to this place, the land of Canaan. I'm going to show you and there you're going to follow me. But Abraham had to leave his entire family to come to this place and follow God's plan. Remember where um, Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 12, where he says, How can I alone bear all your problems and all your complaints and all your burdens? I can't do this alone. That what? He sometimes finds himself there alone. He says, I can't do this alone. But initially he was, and he was overburdened, but yet he tried to be faithful. There in, in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 22, remember those amazing words of Elijah, where he found himself in the cave. He says, I alone am left. <laughs> They've killed all your prophecies. You're not alone. 
I, I, I've set this up, but many times it's going to seem like we're alone. And understand that, that if, if you really have truly purposed in your heart, it's going to stand the test of time. How do we know? Because Daniel here, he is going to literally be faithful to this diet for the next three years. He's going to be faithful to, even though he recognizes your belt to Shazar, I'm Daniel. I'm Daniel. Because what? They didn't throw belt to Shazar into the lion's den. They threw what? Daniel into the lion's den. It's important. He keeps his identity. He keeps his thing. But, but he says this. I want you to realize that Daniel himself is a non-compromiser. I want to just share with you one last passage here in the book of Daniel. Um, chapter 6, verse 10, simply declares this. And it's one that we, we've looked at, we will look at, and we'll look at again and again and again. But in chapter 6, verse 10, it says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, as far as you can't pray or worship anyone except the king, Darius, what we see is this. He went home and as and in his upper room with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and he prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since his early days. Daniel here was non-compromising. And I think it's so important that if God has spoken to you this morning, here's my thing. Remember I told you to be note takers? Write the vision Write the vision, make it clear that when you read it, you may run with it. And I think it's so important to say, God, if you've spoken to my heart what it is to purpose in my heart, to make, understand that I'm, I'm going to be isolated. I'm going to have, you know, people that want to compromise, people who choose a different identity, all those things that are going to happen. I realize that, that, that when um, godly influences are taken away that I may want to compromise. So I want to come and I want to be a part of that godly influences. And at this point, it may be just tuning in, you know, to the live feeds and, and the live streaming. This is what we have at this point that we can do. And so as we're looking to this, as things begin to open up, here's my, my counsel that when we get to chance to, to come back to church, Boy, what a celebration that's going to be. I can't wait to, to be able to, to greet the brethren and, and not to simply say, hey, I'll bump your elbow, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shake hands and hug, and, and I can't wait for that to happen. Um, but I think it's important that when that does happen, realize that God, he's going to watch over us even though we're isolated. He's going to do it, just like he did with Daniel. But when you find yourself in that way, purpose in your heart. Set your heart first. Ask God, God, in your word, is the whole of your word, what is your will for you and me today? What do we want to do? What is it you want to do with me? How do you want to draw me closer to you? And whatever that will is, let that become the priority of your life for that day, for that moment, for that time. Father, we do thank you for Daniel. We thank you, Lord, that um, he teaches us so much just in this one passage that as he purposed in his heart, that, that purposing comes through the fullness of the chapter. All those things that were against him, and yet he said, I'm going to be faithful in this one little thing. And it was so important that as he was faithful in that little thing that, that you gave him greater and greater things to be faithful in. And he trusted you and you watched over him. 
And he became an influence not only to, to those around him, but also to the eunuch who saw, who saw the faithfulness of Daniel's God. And so, Father, do that work in our heart as we're here in this place, as we find ourselves away from, you know, godly influences. We want to, again, be reminded of who you are and how you work, that we want to be those who purpose in our hearts to say we want to be faithful in the little things because they're yours. You made us a steward over it. We want to glorify you in it. And as we're faithful in little things, we know, Lord, you'll give us greater and greater things. But so we know testings are coming. We know that they're going to be here, but we're going to be those, Lord, that focus on your word and focus on your will. And we want to do this not as an act of religion, but as a response to your love and a response saying, Lord, we love you back. We're so grateful to you and what you've done. How can we walk in a way that will glorify you? Teach us, Lord, to sing your song in a foreign land while we're separated, you know, in a sense from one another, but we'll never be separated from you because you will never leave us nor forsake us. So help us to be reminded of that truth, to be focused on you where everything else around us may say that, that you and your word aren't in control, that you and your word aren't doing what you say you will. But we trust, Lord, by faith that your word is true and that you're working and this is your will. So draw us to that end, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.